Lord, just as Sandra drew our attention in to, to, to you, God, our Father, who, is, um, who paints the skies uh, with sunrises and sunsets, who fills the deep with water, the earth with grass, green fields, You are the same God who is right here, right next to us, right now, ever-present to us. And you are calling us, inviting us to worship you. And to do that, we have to surrender everything, time, talent, and treasure to you. And so, Lord, we pray that as we receive this morning's offering, that, Lord, um, this also might be our act of surrender in worship to you. And that you would do immeasurably more um, as, we, as we abide, as we keep connected, as we worship you, than we could ever do apart from you. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. All right. Hey, good morning. Welcome to Beach Point Church. My name is uh, Bill Stafiri, and if I haven't had a chance to meet you, I'd love to meet you afterwards. We are in week two of a series called Elevate Your Life, and hopefully, uh, uh, if, you, if you didn't get one yet, maybe you got one when you came in, you got a, a Elevate Your Life guidebook is what we're calling it. Uh, we are going, spending the first eight weeks thinking together through what it means to get a fresh start on the year. Uh, you know, many of us, uh, we, we work on goals or resolutions or all kinds of things. And a lot of times they're, they're not very inspiring. They don't really uh, get us going. And so what we've, we've started with the, the, maybe you even, you think uh, as a Christian, you can kind of push your goals and resolutions over the top 
by asking God, come up with a list and then ask God to bless it. God, please don't make pizza taste so good this year. It would be awesome so I can, whatever it is. Uh, but what we're trying to do in these first eight weeks is turn that whole process kind of right side up and say, what if instead of asking God to kind of come in at the end, what if he was the architect of what he dreams happening in our life this year? What kind of things does he want to build? We, we know that he is working in us to develop us to be more Christ-like, to become more like his son. We know that he's already at work. What if there was a, a sense of, of camaraderie and partnership? We really understood what it was more clearly what he wanted to do. And so uh, through this book, what we're giving you is a, there's a, a three-part rhythm. There's a, a devotion each week. There's one psalm we want you to just think about on your own. You'll see a little uh, experience called SOAP where we walk you through how to, how to listen to the scriptures uh, uh, during the week. There's this uh, time that we have all together. And then we encourage you, if you're not in a life group yet, or if you're in a life group, to, to be in a group and to talk about it with a group of people and just to think about what it is that God is doing. And so uh, inside here, in fact, you'll see on your book in pages 9 to 12, we actually describe this idea of letting God kind of take pencil to your life and you uh, listening to him. And, and so if you think... I, uh, and, and kind of charting some, some ideas, some goals for yourself. So here's what I want to give you, make sure you know. So if maybe you missed last week or you already feel like, man, I can't believe January is half over and I have just like, I got no hope of ever doing any of this stuff. You may already feel kind of defeated. It's going to take us all eight weeks to kind of figure out what we think God is doing. So you are not behind at all. Uh, week nine, if you feel like you're behind, like you haven't gotten started, then you can say you're behind. But for now, you can go uh, keep working through this. In fact, on page 34 in the book, you'll see there's a checkpoint, kind of a first checkpoint. There's going to be four along the way. And you'll see that we're already starting to ask, hey, what do you think is happening? The whole idea of doing this in pencil is the idea that uh, along the way, you're listening and re-listening, you're shaping and reshaping as you hear what God is saying so you are not behind. Jump in with two feet today. Uh, and so one of the things I want you to see today is it, it, I, I want you to believe that you have great worth to God. This is why he wants to develop you. you. You matter to him. And sometimes we struggle with that idea. If you don't believe something has worth, it's hard to put anything, any kind of energy behind it. Uh, Bitcoin has gotten a lot of buzz lately. And I think for most of us, we're like, we have no idea what this is. We have no idea how it works. Uh, it, it, it is, according to its website, an innovative payment network and a new kind of money. And some of you are still trying to figure out how to even just pawn off the $2 bill your grandpa gave you on your 12th birthday. You're still trying to figure out how to get rid of that. So a whole new thing. It's open source, designed for the public, all these things. Most folks kind of went, meh, I don't, I don't get it. And they, they didn't get involved with it. Uh, it came out in 2009, and uh, in fact, I think even this week, uh, Warren Buffett said, like, eh, I don't think this is going to work. Uh, and so everyone's kind of, I, I, don't, I don't see any real worth in it. In 2009, uh, it came out. A year and a half later, the, the very first transaction was ever done with it. A man bought two Papa John's pizzas with, uh, with Bitcoin. Uh, he gave a total of 10,000 Bitcoins. At the time, the Bitcoins were worth $41. 
Those same Bitcoin, according to numbers today, and I don't understand how it all works, but are apparently worth about $150 million. So, that, so again, pray, God, please don't make pizza taste so good because it's costing me my entire fortune, okay? Uh, now, I still, like, I, I heard this, and I'm like, I still don't get it. I don't get the, the relevance of it until someone told me last week, they said, hey, do you remember this kid from the high school group? And I was a youth pastor here for about 20 years, and, and uh, I said, yeah. They said, you know, he got involved with that Bitcoin thing right when it started. He's worth about $10 million right now. I was like, wow, can someone send him a Daring Faith brochure? Like, that would be really good timing. But see, again, what's, we, when, we don't kind of, when we don't understand what something is worth, we don't give a lot of energy to it. I, I think about the, the MasterCard uh, uh, campaign a couple years ago. I, I thought it was brilliant. You know, the idea of things that you could buy— but then you kind of see what it's all, it's all working towards. You know, Matt just said, you know, talked about camp coming up. And so, you know, think about this, that winter camp registration, $330. Thousand Pines Dino Nuggets from the malt shop, $4. But spending a weekend with Robert Crosby, Phil Johnson, and the rest of the freshman boys, priceless, right? It was this whole idea that there are these things that we could get. You can buy these things, but there's this priceless experience that, that we're all working for. And all this is an idea of attaching worth to something. When you attach worth to something, it changes your perspective on it. And so here's our big idea today. If you want to follow along and take some notes, uh, as we talk about elevating your life, to elevate your life, you have to see yourself as God sees you. You have to see yourself as God sees you. You know, if you're going to let God develop you into all that he dreams you to be, then you have to elevate your perspective. You have to, you have to raise it, lift it up, and see yourself the way that God sees you. To see the way he sees you when he created you, when he redeemed you, and how he envisions you being with him for all eternity. And Psalm 8, which was on the video, is a fascinating psalm. We're, we're looking through these, these psalms uh, to kind of get an idea to work through uh, with us this, during these weeks. And so can I invite you to turn to Psalm chapter 8. Psalm chapter 8. It's page 26 in the guidebook or 539 in the Bibles uh, that are in front of you if you need a Bible. But we're looking at a number, a, a psalm every week, a number of different psalms, and, and in the psalms what we're looking at, what we see are these incredible uh, poems and songs, these spiritual writings, and, and the psalmist is, is uh, constantly inviting us to, to elevate our perspective, to see God high and lifted up beyond all these things, but also to see this great, infinite, mighty God has drawn near to us and is at work in our lives. And it's interesting, Psalm 8 is the very first psalm of praise. So uh, many people see the psalms, they think of it as like, it's it's this worship book, it's this book of praise. Psalm 1, we started with last week, we saw this idea of two paths, and then the next psalms, they get kind of dark. They talk about kind of the the hard part of walking these, these paths, but Psalm 7 ends with a, a vow, a promise, that the psalmist says, I'm going to praise you. I'm going to praise you. And so Psalm 8 fulfills that promise. And so let's read it together. It says this, Lord, O oh Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. And through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. 
When I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you've set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You've made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You've made them rulers over the works of your hands. You've put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds of the sky, the fish in the sea, all that swim in the paths of the sea. Lord, oh Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Well, in this psalm, we see that this is a psalm written by King David. And David uh, is drawing us into the creation account found in Genesis 1, the, uh, the event of how the, the world came to be. And, and you, what you, you see in this, you have to imagine almost, so we know early in David's life that he was a shepherd, and you almost get a sense of him sitting out one night, kind of staring out into the sky, and he's taking it all in. I don't know when the last time is you got outside the city, and you got to the mountains or the desert or somewhere where you actually looked in the sky and said, wow, there's more than four stars in, in, in the sky. Like, this is, this is incredible. If you ever, ever get to go to the southern hemisphere, you see all kinds of new constellations as well. It's, it's quite breathtaking. And so he's looking into the sky. He's taking it all in. And it, it is breathtaking to him. And he, what he's saying is this. He's saying, I, I'm looking. I'm seeing it all. And then in my head, I'm going, Wow. And you are above all these. Not just talking about elevated, like you, you are higher than. He's saying you are greater, as great, as big, as expansive as I can imagine all this to be. You're behind all of this. You're greater than all this. And he is just taking it all in. He's declaring how glorious God is. is. And then he does this interesting thing in verse 2. He says, look, even kids, even children, even nursing babies get it. There's a sense of praise in their heart. It's kind of an interesting thing, but this is actually a, a verse of scripture that Jesus himself quoted one time. Uh, Jesus, uh, when uh, the end of his ministry was coming, he was entering into Jerusalem. It was the last week of his life. He's entering into, into Jerusalem, and everyone is, is shouting these, these words of praise to him. They're laying down palm branches. They're, they're yelling out, Hosanna, uh, you know, praise to the one who's coming to save us. And little kids are waving these palm branches and they're shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, and they're saying all this, and the, the authorities get angry. They feel like this is wrong, this is blasphemous, but notice what he says. Jesus says this. He said, uh, they said to him, here's what the, the leaders said. They said, do you hear what they're saying? And Jesus said to them, yes, have you never read, and here he quotes Psalm 8, out of the mouths of infants and nursing babes, you have prepared praise. And Jesus says, look, even in the hearts of kids, God God puts this song of praise in their hearts. We have a baby boom here at at Beach Point. Be careful what water fountain you're drinking from because we have babies. I think we're doing a a child dedication in the next couple weeks. We're starting to turn kids away. We have so many babies being born. And you'll hear a baby uh, usually in a service kind of cry out or something. And people say, Bill, does that bother you? Not at all. I was a youth pastor for a long, long time. Nothing bothers me uh, up here. But I look at the, it's almost interesting. You almost wonder, there's a sense of, you know, uh, uh, we don't really have the church that kind of responds amen back and forth kind of thing. But you wonder almost the sense of, of these kids calling out. When you hear a little kid cry out, don't panic. They're just calling out a, a word of praise into the, the midst of everything going on. But he's taking in, and notice what he says. He says, look, I, I consider the heavens, and I love this next phrase, the work of your fingers. 
I mean, he's trying to say something that you were intimately involved in this creative process, that you, you were doing something. This is a part of you, the moon, the stars, all that you have set into place. And he's saying, look at all you've done. Now think about this. This is 3,000 years ago. This is before any Hubble telescope or anything going on. Imagine what he's seeing. Now think about for ourselves right now. And some people think, well, now we can see much greater. Yeah, and, and it creates even a bigger perspective, a bigger sense. I mean, think about just our solar system tucked into the Milky Way galaxy. Just think about the Milky Way galaxy for a moment. It, it is shaped, you see, kind of like a pancake with like this bulge in the center. And so I made a diagram for you this morning. Uh, it looks like this. So here, it, this is not to scale, but I made a pancake this morning with a bulge in it just to give you an idea of the Milky Way galaxy. Uh, and the, the thing that's so fascinating is this, if you, if you kind of think about this as a model, if you were to begin at one end of the Milky Way galaxy and travel to the other end of it, that we know this, that you'd have to travel at the speed of light. So 186,000 miles a second. And it would take you 100,000 years to go from one side of our galaxy to the other side of our galaxy. Now, this galaxy is bundled with about uh, 350 billion galaxies. I mean, just take a moment to kind of let the math sink in a little bit. How crazy that is. And, and, and part of the reason why I show you this is if I, I, can't even, I can't even show you, pinpoint on here, show you it to the visible eye where we are. Like it, it, we, we are that small in the midst of all of this. And so we start to see all of this and we're taken, our breath is taken away and you almost get the sense from the psalm that God is saying this, boy, you think that's impressive. Wait till you see me. Wait till you see who I am. And, and what's, being ha- what's happening in this is we start to sense as, as what, what David's saying, he's like, man, I'm just a speck on this speck in the universe. And then he's, what he comes to the realization is this, and you know me and you are mindful of me and the disbelief is not whether or not it is happening the disbelief is that it is happening he's not saying i wonder if you know who i am he's saying you know me you are mindful of me how in the midst of everything could you know me? And his breath is absolutely taken away because he realizes what he means to God. And see, when your heart embraces this, some amazing things begin to happen. Three things I want, to see, I want you to see today. The first thing is this, is that it will affect your character. It affects your character. If all of us, all of us wrestle with identity. Uh, you know, you think about kind of growing up and all the thoughts about identity, about who you are, and where do I belong, and what purpose does my life have? All these are things that, that, that we wrestle with kind of thinking about, and we see this whole uh, process taking place. And we know, uh, we can look in our lives, and we can maybe even still feel the wrestle, that there are things that we think, in essence, are things that we can attach our identity to, and then sometimes we find that they are false, and they are unsatisfying, and, they over, and some of these things overpromise and underdeliver. 
But the psalmist says, look, I want you to try to understand a little bit better who you are. He, said, he says, look into the sky tonight and just try to capture whatever stars you can see and look into the heavens and kind of get a glimpse. And he says, do you realize that the one who's behind all of that thinks of you, cares about you, he is mindful of you, you absolutely have worth to him. In fact, he'd say this, he'd say, you know what, look at the cross and look in the cross and by looking at the cross, do you see how valuable you are to this God? that he would send his one and only son for you, that he would demonstrate how much he loves you, that even when we were sinners and we had no to ourselves, no value, in fact, we were rebels against God, that God would put his love on display by dying for us. He says, this is who you are. And this psalm is, is an echo of Genesis 1, this beginning of the creation account. And what, we're, what we begin to see in this, this psalm is this idea that in all the creation, there's a part of the creation that stands out above all the other parts. And we see it even in kind of the poetic form that, that the, the psalm kind of, kind of hits this pinnacle when it talks about the creation of, of women and men, of, of mankind. And so when we see this idea, we see that there's something. In fact, science says it this way, that you're just a little bit above the animals. But the psalmist says, no, you're just a little bit below God. In fact, you see that line there, it says we're a little bit below the angels. It, 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 uh, the word there is probably better translated, you're a little bit below God. It's, translators get really nervous about saying that because they, they want to be careful how you approach that. But the idea is that, that the, the, in the, the whole creation account, there's something uniquely different. And what's uniquely different from us, from all other parts of creation, is that we are created in the image of God. You are a divine bearer of the divine image of God. And so God is up to something in you. You are different from every other part of the creation. And I don't know if you've ever had a chance to see the, the David statue uh, that was uh, chiseled by uh, Michelangelo. Uh, what I didn't realize was the statue was started by someone else. It sat for about 50 years unfinished. It was kind of like this uh, uh, kind of mutilated piece of marble until Michelangelo got to it. And when he began to chisel away at this 18-foot block, he, he spent nearly four years of his life working on it. And, and many will, will, who have seen it said it's the greatest statue that has ever been sculpted by human hands. But what he did, the way he resurrected the dead stone, he, he breathed in essence kind of his artistry into it. And what he talked about this is that he was, what he envisioned is what he called the image of the heart. He believed that the masterpiece was already inside the stone. All he had to do was remove the excess stone so David could escape. He didn't see what was. He saw what could be, what had already lay within his heart. He didn't see the imperfections of the stone. He saw the masterpiece of unparalleled beauty and friends, that is exactly how the divine artist sees you. In fact, Ephesians chapter 2 says it this way, that you are God's masterpiece. Uh, the word there is poema, where we get the word poem. You are his great novel. You are his, his work of art. You are his masterpiece, and he has created good works for you to do, things that he's intended from the very beginning to do. There's a sense of destiny to your life. 
And in his own unique way, he's chiseling away, chiseling away, chiseling away, because there's what, what the divine artist sees in you is not who you are, but what you can become. And so he's working, working, working. This is why we invite you to say, listen to his voice. Let him ch- figure out where he wants to chisel away this year. The things that he wants to, to chisel off, the things that he wants to build, the things he wants to do in you. I love the, the sense of, uh, uh, I lo- love what Mark Batterson writes in his book Soul Print. He says in essence that this, that you know, each of us has like a fingerprint that kind of helps us kind of determine who we are. But he says if, you, if we think more deeply about what the, the story says, we also have a soul print. He says, the only way to discover who you are is to discover who God is because you are made in his image. And there's a sense of, of, of bearing his image that, that, that this is why we're inviting you. Listen to the scriptures and listen, be together, uh, thinking about who he is and what it is that he wants to do. So it affects our character, but second, it affects our care. It affects our care. So you have to make a conclusion, don't you? You have to make a conclusion that if I am made in the image of God, then so are you. And so I have a responsibility to treat you with the utmost care and responsibility. We're to see in each other the divine image of mankind. That's why I love C.S. Lewis says this. He says, The dullest and most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you'd be strongly tempted to worship. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities that we should conduct our dealings with one another. All friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. And Lewis is saying, if we see people now and what God is doing, if we can envision what God is ultimately going to do, we realize there's no one who is ordinary. We must treat people with the utmost respect and care and see them infinitely precious in his sight. See, this is why Christians have such a strong pro-life view, beginning at conception and then all through the, the lifespan of someone. We, we, we see the, the dignity and value of a person. Uh, next week it will be 45 years since the decision was made to legalize abortion. And it's heartbreaking in so many ways because what, one of the things why it's so heartbreaking is because we see, as the psalmist says, this idea that from the very beginning of conception that God is at work, that, there is, that God is ordaining days, not that he's picked it all out, but there's a sense of, as I said, destiny to a person's life, that he is intimately involved. He's knitting us together. And so we, we see this with great value. And so there's, there's this, this pain, the thought of, of a child not becoming all that it was meant to be. My, my second year as a youth pastor, I was, uh, we were at a winter camp and we had this big swell of kids that came, so many so that I had to find a bunch of youth leaders to, to kind of come on a, like really, like no training. Can you just come, be a warm body, make sure, you know, kids uh, don't, uh, uh, you know, show up to everything and do all this stuff. And so uh, this girl, Kim, came with us. No training or anything. She just said, yeah, I got a free weekend, I'll come with you. We, we get to the camp, we're there, we're kind of free times uh, unpacking. We have our first leaders meeting and we show up and Kim says, hey, I have a question for you. I have a girl who's asking me, she says, I'm pregnant, can I go sledding? 
and I'm like, wow, some training probably would have been really good at this point. Like it would have been really helpful for her. I didn't know how to answer it and certainly didn't know. I, I'm just looking at her, you know, she's like, tell me what to do. I don't know what, you, what do you do when a kid says this? And this, this young girl had basically decided she wasn't going to keep the child. And so she just thought, well, it's not a big deal, right, if I go sledding. And throughout the weekend, Ken spent time with her. She loved her. Uh, she shared with her the, uh, the, just the beauty of who God is and, and God's design for her life and her child's. And it came to the end of the weekend where the, this young girl decided she wanted to keep her, her child. But this was, this was tough because her mom uh, didn't want this to happen. Her mom was pressuring her to, to uh, not keep the child. And so Kim, this volunteer leader, not only became this young girl's kind of birth coach through the whole process, but she took her into her apartment and, and gave her shelter. And uh, uh, her small group uh, gave her uh, a baby shower and did all these things. And on the day when little Maddie was born, Kim was there to cut the cord and be a part of the whole experience. And Kim called the the, the grandmother, called uh, this girl's mom and says, would you like to meet your granddaughter? And the mom came down and she came and there was this incredible reunion. This family was brought together. And over time, they kind of, kind of, everything kind of grew apart. 13 years later, Kim got a call. She had a message and it was from this high school, this girl who had now grown up and she says, Kim, is there any way you can be at a birthday party tomorrow? Here's the address. I want you to meet Maddie. It's her 13th birthday. And so Kim, ironically, was coming home from the hospital from having her own first child. And so she took her baby and she went to the, the party. And it was the grandmother who took little Maddie up to Kim and said, I want you to meet Kim. This is the angel who saved your life. And it was this kind of incredible moment. Uh, Maddie just graduated from college. And so, so what I want you to see in some ways, why, why our hearts resonate with this is because we see in this the, the divine image, the, the destiny of, of what God wants for a child. But we also have seen, and I know some of you have experienced this, the incredible pain that comes from a decision when you end a pregnancy, uh, the, the lives, the, the regret and the guilt and the shame that can come with this. And I know some of you feel this, and I'm so sorry for you in this, but what I have seen is this, there's incredible grace in Jesus. Uh, Tim was a man in our church, and, and he dealt with that, that pain for 40 years of his life, and he became a very, very hard person because that part of his heart that he knew, he just kind of shelled over it, and it became like a callus, and, and he kind of pushed everyone away until he had that moment of, of bringing that to Jesus and finding forgiveness, and when he found that forgiveness, it was as if he became literally a brand new man, and he began to train to uh, mentor young men who would also find themselves in that place. See, our commitment to, to be committed to life, it, it, it continues beyond conception, beyond voting for people who maybe share a view or, uh, on these kinds of things. This is why uh, every year we, we try to do a workshop where you can learn about adoption. Many of you have adopted, many of you do foster care, and, and you've done such an amazing job. Uh, That's why we care for widows and orphans literally all over the world. We're going to send a team out uh, in the next 10 days that are headed to Haiti. Uh, We've been working on uh, a project there for a long time. Uh, We we encourage you all the time to invest your time, your talents, your treasures into people who are vulnerable here locally and around the globe, and you always do that. We keep trying to grow in our understanding of what it means to care and serve vulnerable people around the world because we see in them the image of God. And we see in them the sense where, where 
absolute uh, love and care and dignity must be given to them. And so it's very interesting as we begin to think about this, we start realizing that there's this way in which maybe God is going to do something. He's chiseling away to do something in you. But maybe you start to sense that God is not just, it's not something in you he's going to do. It's something through you he's going to do. So here's the last thing I want you to think about is that it affects our calling. When we see our worth to God, we, it affects our calling. Because you see in the passage, there is a responsibility that we have that we are to be rulers over the works of his hands. This idea that, that, that we would be benevolent, that we would care for the creation, we'd be good stewards of it, we would not exploit it. That we would be people of responsibility, that we would seek justice in the world, that we would, we would try to, in all our things, bring God glory. We have a role to play. This is why I have such a high regard for Rose Sakuda. If you ever meet Rose, I'll tell you, Rose is, uh, you want to talk about one of these kids is doing their own thing. Uh, Rose will stand out from the rest of you because you will meet her getting coffee out on the patio. She's the, the, the woman that looks like she's from a tribe in Kenya. It's because she's from the Messiah tribe in Kenya. Uh, she is awesome. And she, she's just this beautiful woman who's here. But Rose is incredibly soft-spoken, but one of the bravest people I've ever met. See, in the Maasai culture, there is a tradition, and the tradition is if your family uh, is is poor, uh, you will basically give away your daughters for dowries, a a, a bridal price, uh, to to usually much older men that your daughter might, and and someone as young as this, uh, maybe to become the second or third husband to a man, 50, 60 years old it could be, uh, because they have wealth. And there's a whole uh, uh, process that goes with it. There's a uh, uh, tribal celebration that goes with it. And, and Rose, Rose was someone who had affected even her own life. And Rose realized there was something inside her that said, these girls deserve far more, they have far more worth than we're treating them, they have far more dignity. And Rose began to be a voice in an entire country to stand up for these young girls and fight for them. Uh, Bill Hybels calls it this, he calls it holy discontent. Holy discontent. He says it, he describes it this way. He says, it's, it's your Popeye moment. I don't know if you guys remember Popeye. Popeye was a cartoon character who he would get kind of, he gets to this point where it kind of, his, his kind of anger would build up and he would say, that's all I can stands. I can't stands no more. And then he'd squeeze the can of spinach. He'd eat it. And then he'd take care of the bad guy. And Bill Hybels says, there's, this, there's moments in the Christian life where you have, you'll feel it in your soul. There's a Popeye moment. He calls it holy discontent, where you see something that you just know is not right, and it builds and builds and builds until you say, that's all I can stand. I can't stand no more. And you step into that place and become that advocate for the person who is vulnerable. Here, uh, uh, what, what she began to do is protect these girls. She found places for them to stay. She had to hide some of these girls. But ultimately what she knew was this, if she could get the girls schooling, if she could help fund their schooling, then that would give them not just protection for a moment, it would give them a chance to build the life that God dreamed for them. 
And Rose, moved by her Christian conviction, began to do that. The very first girl that we began to sponsor was sponsored by our women's uh, Wednesday morning Bible study, and her name was Mercy. Mercy uh, uh, is this girl here on the end with the red headband. Mercy was just a young girl when she started, but we were able, the women in our women's Bible study started to support her. They put her through school. She wound up going all the way through nursing school. Two years ago, I got a chance to go to Kenya. I got a chance to sit in Rose's house, and I was surprised. They said, oh, Mercy's here, and it was as shocked. No one knew that she was in town, but Mercy was there, and I sat down, and I shared a meal with Mercy and Rose, and I'll never forget when, when Mercy looked at Rose and said to her, Mama Rose, you changed my life. You changed my life. You changed my future. And just with tears in her eyes, just said, like, if it wasn't for you, I can't imagine how different my life would be. But Mercy has a husband she found and she picked and he picked her and it was, it's this beautiful thing. They're both these, this Christian couple. She is now working as a nurse among refugees. Uh, she's doing this incredible thing. And yet th- there's this part of her who says, if it wasn't for you stepping in and standing in for me, I don't know what my life would look like. And I know a number of you women were a part of that study. And I want you to know, on behalf of Mercy, you rescued her. You saved her life. You changed her destiny because you stepped into something. Now, when I went to Kenya, what I expected because of everything I learned, we've since, uh, we're, we're sponsoring, I think, 35 girls uh, in Kenya. And so when I went there, I expected to see that Rose was like this kind of superhuman woman, like she was like beyond uh, any, what any of us could ever aspire to. And what I found was simply this, just as she is here, Rose is this soft-spoken, she's just, she's just like you. She's a mom, she's a grandma, she's a neighbor, she's a wife. She just had the courage to step in and be the advocate for uh, these girls who needed it. She just knew what the right thing was to do, and she put her own safety on the line. And this woman is helping to change an entire culture, an entire country, because of her bravery. She saw those girls through the lens of the divine image of God the work of his hands, and she knew she had to stand for them. So what if, what if what God is trying to do in your life this year isn't just something in you, but something through you? Two things I've been kind of praying for and hoping for today is this. First, I, I really want you to hear through this psalm the amazing way that you matter deeply to the eternal God who is behind all of this, who despite the fact that we are just a speck on a speck in a giant galaxy uh, in the midst of other galaxies, that he is mindful of you. His mind is filled with thoughts of you. Because if you understand your worth, then you will give him permission to begin to chisel and chisel and chisel and chisel away so that the masterpiece can come through. The second thing is this, is that I, I hope that you will see and that we will see as a church the great worth of the people we are around and that we will treat them with the love and the dignity and the sacrifice that they deserve. Some of you know that there maybe is a way that, that God is calling you to sacrifice, to advocate for those who have no voice, who are vulnerable who you see have divine worth, that maybe God is calling you to be a Kim or a Tim 
or a rose. But during these weeks, I, I want to invite you to think and pray and see what God is saying. So here's our response today. Uh, I want you to just pray through those two things. What does Jesus want to develop in me? And what does Jesus want to develop through me? I'm going to give you 90 seconds or so of quiet, and I don't want you to panic. It's going to get, you're going to get really nervous, okay? Because it's going to be really still, and you'll hear the, uh, the coughing and the, the pages rattling and a, and a, a child uh, moving around, and you're going, to, you're going to freak out. Don't. Uh, maybe even turn to page 10 in the book, and maybe some ideas are flooding in your mind, and you just need to put down a couple words before you forget them. But in these 90 seconds, ask this question, Jesus, what, what is it that you are developing in me? Is there something you want to do through me? And maybe you sense you have that holy discontent moment, that Popeye moment has been brewing, and you just needed today to kind of, you just know it's time to squeeze the can. And so let's, let's bow together, let's pray, and let's see what God is saying to us.